know, during this past year, during the 40 days of Lent, I prepared a series of short videos, each lasting about a minute long, coinciding with the 40 days of Lent. And if you know anything about social media, obviously you can track things like, you know, likes and shares and whatnot. And I found in terms of like overall viewership and just like, you know, general reception, the videos which were received the best, if you will, were videos having to deal with the subject of negative thoughts. And so given all that, I thought for our purposes today, I might be very intentional in terms of creating an extended video dealing with that subject. How to deal with the recurring problem that we all face from time to time of wrestling with negative thoughts. So the first thing that comes to mind is basically this, to be aware that we're in a fight, to be aware that we're in the midst of a spiritual battle. So the example that comes to mind, Matt Fratt, who of course is this really famous Catholic apologist, he articulates this particular point um, in terms of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? And so basically what he says is that when it comes to the Lord of the Rings trilogy, whether we're talking about the series of books or the series of movies, the story is not simply that once upon a time we had this ring of power, which was evil and wicked, but then one day we got rid of it. That's not the story, but instead we need to also consider the reality of Sauron, who is emblematic, of course, of the devil and his ilk. And the whole point, of course, is that when it comes to the spiritual life, we need to realize it's not simply a matter of us trying to avoid sin and accumulate good works, but it's also being aware of the reality of the devil. The devil is cunning. The devil is brilliant. The devil is aware of all of our strengths and weaknesses. He is very much like a roaring lion prowling about looking to devour his prey, you know, 1 Peter chapter 5. And so therefore, we need to be aware, first and foremost, that we're in a battle. We're in the midst of a fight. We're in the midst of a, a spiritual battle. And to therefore try to very intentionally equip ourselves with various rules of discernment, if you will, to make sure we emerge at the end of the fight victorious. Okay, so that's kind of the first thing. But the second thing is this, and this is kind of a related point, right? So certainly, again, we're called to be aware that we're in the midst of a battle, we're in the midst of, of spiritual warfare, if you will. But at the same time, we must never give in to fear. And so St. Ignatius of Loyola, who of course is the founder of the Jesuits, he has a really interesting analogy to illustrate this particular point when he uses the analogy of an experienced general in the midst of battle. And so basically what Ignatius says is that an experienced general, if he's experienced, is never surprised or scandalized by the presence of warfare because he knows, again, we're called to be in the midst of a battle. But at the same time, he maintains a sense of peace and calm and inner recollection in the midst of the battle. Not because he doesn't care, not because he's indifferent to the outcome, but rather because he knows what to do because, again, he's an experienced general. I've seen warfare before and I know what to do. And so therefore, again, I'm able to maintain a sense of peace and calm and recollection in the midst of the most fiercest of fights. And of course, the whole idea is that the same principle has been to apply to each one of us when it comes to the reality of spiritual warfare, which is basically to say this, the peace of Christ, which is beyond all understanding, is meant to be the peace which persists in the midst of storms. And so it's not meant to be dependent upon particular circumstances, but rather, again, it's meant to persist in the fiercest of battles and the fiercest of storms. And so again, when it comes to the reality of spiritual warfare, the invitation is to become so familiar with various rules of discernment and various rules with regards to spiritual warfare that we're able to maintain a sense of, of self-possession in the midst of the most difficult trials that we happen to face in the midst of our lives. And so just to give you a concrete example of a rule of discernment or a rule pertaining to spiritual warfare, which you might find to be helpful in your daily life, consider this, the importance of having goodwill. And so again, the importance of having goodwill. And so again, just to kind of quote St. Ignatius of Loyola, basically what he says is that when it comes to this reality of goodwill, perhaps we might define goodwill simply as this desire, this habitual desire to go God's way. 
mindful of the fact that the question as to whether or not we actually have goodwill has really important implications in terms of discerning the voice of God versus the voice of the devil. And so according to say Ignatius, if you don't have goodwill, which again is defined as this habitual desire to go God's way, God will speak to you in terms of abiding conscience, urging you on to better things, right? Whereas the devil will kind of say, hey, look, you're having a good time. Just kind of enjoy yourself. Don't worry about things like conversion of heart and whatnot. And so they illustrate the point. Think about St. Augustine of Hippo, pre-conversion, right? Where he's saying to himself over and over again, some variation of like, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. So clearly he doesn't have goodwill in this particular stage in his life. In which case, again, God would speak to him in one way, whereas the devil would speak to him in another way. So again, God would try to urge him on to better things, helping him realize that even though it might seem difficult on the face of it to kind of go the way of chastity, you actually can do it. And whereas the devil will say, well, hey, you're having a good time, just keep it up, you know, party time, basically. Okay, so that's obviously a situation where someone doesn't have goodwill, but it obviously begs the question, what about the reverse? What about a situation where someone actually does have goodwill, this, again, habitual desire to go God's way? Well, St. Ignatius says that in a certain sense, in that particular situation, the roles are reversed. God will put thoughts and ideas in your mind and heart to encourage you to persevere in the direction of the good. Whereas in contrast, the devil in a certain sense will do the reverse. You will try to populate your mind and heart with various thoughts and ideas, which lead to a sense of disquiet, unrest, and anxiety, which have no basis in reality. And the whole point, just to kind of pull it all together, is that the various commandments and teachings of the church with regards to their moral life are really important when it comes to dealing with negative thoughts. Because obviously, whether or not you follow these commandments and teachings dictates whether or not you actually have goodwill. And as we've just seen, whether or not you have goodwill really influences whether or not God speaks to you in one way versus another way. And same thing, of course, with the devil. And so, for example, let's say someone is moving from serious sin to serious sin on a regular and habitual basis without any sort of thought or desire for conversion of heart. Well, clearly that person is lacking goodwill, in which case, again, God will speak to that person in one way and the devil will speak to that person in another and more to the point that this person is not aware of the importance of having goodwill when it comes to discernment of spirits, well then this person might experience God again gnawing away at his or her conscience, urging this person in the direction of conversion of heart, and then think to himself or herself, well gosh, God wants me to be at peace, God doesn't want me to be in a state of anxiety and unrest, and so therefore this voice which is kind of gnawing away at my conscience must be from the devil as opposed to the Lord. Whereas the solution in a certain sense is that that person needs to learn to have goodwill, to learn to habitually go God's way, not again in an abstract sense, but in a sense of dutifully and regularly and habitually following the various teachings of the Holy Catholic Church with regards to the moral life. Okay, but that brings us to the next point when it comes to dealing with negative thoughts. Naming this idea of firmly choosing to reject those thoughts which don't come from the Lord and firmly accepting to embrace those which do. So the example that comes to mind, I was kind of surfing the internet and I came across this interesting stat which basically said that for the average person, the average person has about 6,000 thoughts running through his or her head. 6,000 thoughts, right? Which means, by extension, practically speaking, you are necessarily choosing to address certain thoughts as opposed to others, right? Because again, you have roughly on average 6,000 thoughts running through your mind. And so given all that, I suppose the invitation, if you will, is to be more intentional in this regard. To first of all, discern the voice of the Good Shepherd versus other kind of competing voices. But then once you've made that distinction to, again, firmly choose to embrace those thoughts and ideas which come from the Lord and to firmly reject those thoughts and ideas which simply do not. 
And so to be honest, whenever this particular issue comes up, the example that comes to mind is this really important and influential conversation I once had with my spiritual director back in the seminary with regards to matters of spiritual discernment and spiritual warfare. And so basically what he said, sort of off the cuff actually, was essentially this. Eric, if I were to guess, I would suggest that we are called to ignore, to firmly reject nine out of ten thoughts which enter our minds, which is basically to say this. Regardless of how old we are or how far advanced we think we might be when it comes to the spiritual life, nine out of ten thoughts which enter our heads are total garbage. And the thing I want to suggest to you now is that if you remember that particular principle as you go forth now and live your life, that's going to be a total game changer for you. But at the same time, as you're actually applying this particular principle to your daily life, you're going to feel kind of silly, right? Because in practice, what it's going to look like is this. Ten thoughts enter your head, and then what do you do? Ignore, 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 and then maybe that tenth thought you actually entertain and savor in your heart. And then what? Rinse and repeat for the rest of your life. And so again, when you try to put this particular principle in practice, especially at the beginning, you're going to feel kind of silly. But the thing I want to impress upon you is that if you persevere in this regard and you get past this feeling of, of feeling weird when you're actually applying this principle, the payoff is huge. Because what you're doing is saying no to all sorts of competing goods to kind of maintain this inner sense of peace and recollection to focus on the few things the Lord wants you to do carefully and well. And once you live out of that space, you'll realize that's a much easier way to live. Okay, but that brings us to the final thing I want to talk about today. Mainly this idea of being mindful of one's environment. And so the example that comes to mind, I remember back in the day when I was still at St. Augustine Seminary studying to be a priest, it was a lot easier to maintain a habit of prayer when I was in the seminary community as opposed to living in the summer by myself, right? And it makes sense, right? When you're around people who are also praying, um, it's a lot easier to want to pray yourself and maintain that particular habit and discipline of regular prayer. Now, obviously, just to kind of close off that particular analogy, if you're called to be a Dawson priest, chances are you're going to be living at some point during your ministry by yourself, right? And so it's really important over the course of the five, six, seven years of seminary formation that you're able to maintain this habit of individual and personal prayer, quite apart from having people next to you who are also praying. So hopefully that goes without saying. That said, the point still remains that it's a lot easier to persevere in the good when you have a really good and healthy environment. And I guess my whole point here is that when it comes to spiritual warfare, and in particular this idea of dealing with negative thoughts, certainly it's helpful to become, again, familiar with various rules of discernment, to discern, for example, the, the voice of the shepherd versus the voice of Satan. But at the same time, it also helps to make sure that your life is populated with good and holy things, as opposed to things which perhaps are not overtly sinful, but actually drag you farther away from the good. And so the example that comes to mind, I remember once listening to the Way of the Heart podcast, in the context of which one of the co-hosts, Jake Kim, was telling a story involving his young son. And so basically, as the story goes, Jake Kim was going to Mass with his young son, when he noticed that his son was basically humming this particular song, this secular song, over and over again. As a result of which, Jake said to his son, like, look, you basically become what you meditate upon. You become what you meditate upon. And his whole point, of course, is that the things that you think about, the things that you have linger in your heart, they affect you one way or another, for the good or for the bad. So you need to be mindful of the things that you meditate upon. And I got to admit that for myself, when I heard that particular story, I couldn't help but think about my Spotify playlist, right? And so, as you probably know, Spotify is a music app in the context of which you can look up different songs. And if you really like them, you can hit like, and all of a sudden these songs become part of your own personal playlist of like liked songs. 
And in the aftermath of listening to the story by Jay Kim, I realized in retrospect that a lot of the songs that I added to my own personal playlist on Spotify, especially recently, were, were really depressing songs. And I realized that this was having an effect on me because obviously when you have a bunch of, of new songs and a new playlist, you, you play this thing over and over again. So what was happening, I was becoming depressed as a result of listening to these songs because it's true, you know, you become what you meditate upon. And you know, when I say this, I don't want there to be any sort of misunderstanding, right? So hopefully it goes without saying, I'm not saying that it's a sinful or wicked or evil thing to listen to depressing love songs, right? But rather it's an invitation to be mindful again of one's environment. What are the things that I'm listening to or reading or watching? What are the things that I'm, I'm meditating upon? What are the things that I'm, I'm thinking about all the time, right? Mindful of the fact that these things affect us one way or another. And so given all that, depending on how you look at it, it's basically an invitation to live a life of integration, to make sure that everything we do in terms of our work, our rest, our recreation, the choices we make, the ways in which we spend our time, to make sure that all of this is situated very much in God's call. As a result of which, at the end of the day, we belong entirely to Christ, which is the very definition in a certain sense of holiness itself. And may God bless you all.